Welcome to the High on Life podcast, where it's all about empowering you with the medicine and the mindset to healthfully lose weight and thrive beyond the scale. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha High. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss and beyond. Remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. So be sure to seek medical support from a qualified health professional. Episode 53 of the High on Life podcast. Today we're talking all about ozempic or semaglutide. You've probably heard about this medication. There's been lots of recent hype. Influencers are talking about it. Celebrities are talking about it. A lot of people in Hollywood using ozempic to slim down. So I thought I'd help you understand what ozempic is and how it works in case this is something you or a family member is considering. So Ozempic is a type 2 diabetes that is excellent at lowering blood sugar levels and has also been shown to reduce cardiovascular risk. The generic name for Ozempic is semaglutide, and it falls under a class of medications called GLP-1 receptor agonists. Now, GLP-1 is a hormone that is naturally produced by all of our bodies. So you already have GLP-1 in your body. It's produced by your small intestine after food intake. So as food is passing passing through your bowels, GLP-1 is released, and it has a number of different functions. So one thing that it does is it goes up to your brain, to your hypothalamus, and it is a satiety signal. So it gives a signal to your brain to stop eating and tell your brain, like, you've got food, you're good, and that triggers fullness so that you stop eating. There are also GLP-1 receptors on the pancreas, and this molecule improves glucose-dependent insulin secretion. So when blood sugar levels are high, GLP-1 will activate insulin secretion, but if glucose levels are normal or low, it will not cause excess insulin production. So you don't tend to get hypoglycemia or low blood sugar levels as a result of a GLP-1 medication. There's also GLP-1 receptors on your stomach, and this is what causes some of the side effects. So with GLP-1s, it will slow down gastric emptying. So that means it slows down the passage of food from your stomach into your bowels. Food's going to sit in your stomach a little longer, makes you feel full, but also can cause some of the side effects like reflux and nausea. Semaglutide, which is ozempic, is very similar to your body's own innate GLP-1, but with a longer half-life. It's administered as a once-weekly subcutaneous injection. Yes, that means it's a needle, but it's a tiny four-millimeter needle into your abdomen or your thigh. It's typically fairly painless. Okay, now the question is, why is a diabetes medication being used for weight loss? Well, Ozempic is the version of semaglutide that is marketed for type 2 diabetes. But semaglutide under a different name has actually been approved by Health Canada and the FDA for the treatment of obesity. Semaglutide for obesity is called Wegovi. So Wegovi and Ozempic are the same thing. They're both semaglutide, but at different doses. Wegovi was released in the United States last year in 2022, but there were huge problems with manufacturing and lack of supply. And for this reason, it hasn't come to the Canadian market yet. Now, semaglutide is an extremely effective anti-obesity medication. In one-year-long studies, the average weight loss, depending on the dose, ranges from 10 to 17%. It is the first anti-obesity drug to produce double-digit weight loss. By comparison, bariatric surgery averages 20 to 25% 
weight loss. So like for a medication, this is pretty close. In addition, semaglutide shows improvements in blood sugar, blood pressure, cholesterol profile, even a reduction in stroke risk. Now, how does it work? So I'm going to explain the mechanism of action of semaglutide specifically for achieving weight loss in people with obesity. Semaglutide targets GLP-1 receptors on the brain in the area of the hypothalamus responsible for appetite signaling. So it tells your brain that you're no longer hungry and therefore reduces food intake. So what you might experience is you'll get halfway through your meal and be like, oh my goodness, like I can't have another bite. I'm good. It also has the receptors on the stomach and the pancreas that I mentioned earlier. I have been hearing some doctors on social media say that it works by treating insulin resistance. So I want to just speak to this. In analyses of the SUSTAIN 1 to 3 trials, the SUSTAIN trials were looking at the effectiveness of semaglutide. They also looked at insulin resistance using a measure called HOMA-IR. And they found that semaglutide reduced insulin resistance, but the greater the weight loss, the more the reductions in insulin resistance. And so it's actually thought that the observation in reducing insulin resistance is primarily mediated by the effect of semaglutide on body weight. So because semaglutide causes weight loss and a reduction in fat mass, that improves insulin resistance. There's another plausible mechanism that semaglutide does suppress a hormone called glucagon, and a suppression in glucagon secretion may also improve insulin resistance. And then there's some other potential mechanisms. But currently, as it stands, our understanding of semaglutide is that its effect on weight is by reducing appetite, reducing food intake. When you are trying to lose weight on your own, your brain enters into, like, as you reduce your caloric intake and as your weight comes down, your brain kind of enters what we describe as, like, starvation mode or, like, there's metabolic adaptation where it revs up your hunger and it slows down your metabolic rate to try to get you to regain weight because it really wants to defend against your higher body weight. Brains don't like body weight loss. Brains think a loss in fat mass is starvation, like you're dying of a famine somewhere, and so I better defend against this. So semaglutide will kind of calm down that response in the brain, and so you will continue to be able to eat less through the use of the medication. Some people wonder, does semaglutide increase metabolic rate? Does it improve your energy expenditure? And the answer is, currently, the data in humans does not show that there's a reduced, uh, sorry, that there's any effect on energy expenditure, that it really is the reduced energy intake associated with reductions in appetite that contributes to body weight loss. Another question I hear a lot, does semaglutide have any effect on the body weight set point? And this is like a contentious issue, whether there is a true set point, there are theories, and there's still theories because we're this is not proven yet, but there is theories of a fat mass set point. I, I tend to think that that's probably accurate, but there's lots of different opinions on this. We have no data so far showing that semaglutide will reduce the body weight set point. So it's possible that we're going to find stuff out in the future, but our understanding right now is the mechanism of action in reducing body weight is in reducing food intake. So it affects feeding behavior. Now, what are some of the main side effects of semaglutide? Because semaglutide or ozempic acts on stem the stomach to reduce gastric emptying, it will 
make food sit in your stomach longer. And if food is sitting in your stomach, you have more potential for it to reflux, reflux back up, to have nausea. Some people will vomit with it. It can also cause either diarrhea or constipation. These side effects should be minimal if the medication is done with an appropriate titration. So the the medication is prescribed on a, what's called a dose titration schedule, which means you start at a low dose and you slowly increase it over a matter of weeks to allow your body to adjust to it. The way I use it with patients and my team is that we give kind of education and, and some flexibility for our patients to self-adjust the titration in order to do it as slow as absolutely required to minimize side effects. I do not enjoy vomiting. I think it's the most awful thing in the world. So I never want my patients to vomit. And therefore, I give them liberty to go on a slower titration schedule than what is typically prescribed so that they really minimize their side effects. There's really no rush to get to maximum dose. I've had people take like double and triple the amount of time to get to the maximum dose in a way that they feel comfortable with that minimizes their side effects so they don't end up vomiting. Constipation and diarrhea are common as well. And, you know, using typical things to manage constipation, making sure that you're moving your body, getting exercise, water, fiber, and sometimes an over-the-counter laxative may be necessary while your body's adjusting to it. The thing with the side effects is it's really more common in the first few months. And then as your body gets used to it, the side effects do tend to decrease. Having said that, if you overeat on this medication, like you don't listen to the, the the fullness signal that it's giving to your brain and you overeat out of habit or out of enjoyment, out of, you know, obligation to other people because they're still eating. If you overeat, you're going to increase the risk of the side effects. So, you know, people who tell me that like at nighttime, they're waking up really nauseous or with a lot of reflux or vomiting at night, it usually tells me that they're overeating at supper time. And so it's really important to focus on reducing portion sizes. The medication kind of tells you how much how much food your 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 body's actually needing because so often culturally we overeat. And so the medication is going to help your brain to have less interest in the food to show you that you're actually not needing as much food as you're as you're often taking. Okay, the big question everyone wants to know what happens when you stop the medication? So this has been studied in the step one extension trial as well as the step four trial. And they looked at what happened when people were given semaglutide and then treatment was withdrawn. And the studies show weight regain as well as reversal of all the cardiometabolic benefits. So where they saw reductions in A1C, that started creeping back up again. Cholesterol improvements, that started going back to where it was before. Now this is going to make sense, right? If you find a treatment for a disease and you stop the treatment, it makes sense that the disease is still present and is going to recur, right? We This is not surprising. We see this all the time with other conditions, hypertension, chronic depression, right? Like there are many chronic diseases that require chronic treatment, but because we still don't see obesity as a chronic medical condition, we think we can use tools for short-term interventions and achieve long-term result, and it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. So you know, there's influencers, like there's a really famous influencer on TikTok right now who talks about how she was given Ozempic. She actually had untreated binge eating disorder, lost all this weight, and then she, she claims that she gained double when she stopped the medication. And everyone's talking about how this means Ozempic doesn't work. And it's like, well, no, the medication works, but you have to continue taking the medication if you want it to continue working. That's like common sense, except 
you know, it really plays with people's expectations that they can use this as a kickstart. And that's just not how it is. The other thing with that story is that, you know, if you have untreated binge eating disorder, like we treat binge eating disorder in our Recover Strong program, and we always suggest that people treat their eating disorder before they tackle weight loss, because like that's a separate thing, right? You need to treat binge eating disorder. Anyway, I digress. Some people say, well, if I, you know, if I use the medication and then I change my health behaviors, can I stop the medication and maintain? I'm not going to say this is impossible because I actually have some clients we do, we do, you know, very intensive psychological interventions, emotional regulation, and the behavioral components in, in our best way program. And I just received an email from one of my clients who was with us forever. She's wonderful and lost a lot of weight. And then she's recently stopped Sixenda and she was writing to tell me like she stopped it. She's still losing weight. She's applying all of the stuff that she learned. So it is possible, but it's really not what is common for most people if you're just, you know, trying to do the diet and exercise thing. Because as we've seen in the trials, when you stop taking the medication, the weight comes back on. Here's the thing. If it's the medication that reduces your appetite and therefore you're now able to eat less, when you stop that medication, it is therefore harder for you to eat less because your appetite's going to rev up the desire for food. And if you haven't learned some other tools to help manage overeating and emotional eating behaviors, you won't be able to maintain the behavioral piece, right? So in the withdrawal trials, the people were still getting like I think they were still meeting with like a dietitian, so they still have some support. But what the trials don't tell us is whether they actually maintain their reduction in caloric intake because the trials didn't publish any information of control of eating. So the way we look at the effect of medication on eating behavior is using control of eating questionnaires. There's some other questionnaires like on emotional eating and stuff like that as well. But in the withdrawal trials, they didn't look at control of eating. So we don't know. Were they still maintaining their caloric deficit but regaining weight? We don't know that information. I suspect not. I suspect not based on how, what we know about how this medication works. Because when, we know when you've lost a lot of weight, particularly with a, with a medication, you know your brain starvation response is going to be in high, high gear if you stop that medication. It's going to rev up hunger. You're going to be eating more again, lots of desire for food, and that all favors weight regain. So this is a chronic medication for a chronic medical condition. And that's why people using it you know, short-term to kickstart their weight loss they're going to be they're going to be disappointed because that's just not how it works. And my concern, this is my big concern, is you know, in medicine we want to first do no harm. And I am concerned as a medical community that if we put people on these medications without proper counseling and we use it short term, then they think they can stop the medication and then they wait regain. We're actually doing more harm than good because we know there's lots of data that suggests that weight cycling is much worse for your long-term metabolic health than just staying weight stable. And, and that's, that's a really like tricky point, right? I don't want to do harm to people by put, putting them on a short-term medication to cause weight loss and then they regain all of that and then some. And then in the long run, I'm, I'm not helping this person. I'm actually harming this person. So, you know, with my program, we do a lot of counseling around where you might consider using this medication and how to use it properly. And I think that's a really important caution for any healthcare provider and, you know, if you're listening as a patient or as a client as well. So how long do you continue for? How long do you continue these medications? The answer is long-term, indefinite. 
And everyone's like, well, what does that mean? Like, does long-term mean a year? Does long-term mean like six months? Long-term means kind of for life, right? The same way you use uh, antihypertensive medications, blood pressure medications for life. Diabetes medications are typically for life. This is a treatment for a chronic medical condition. All right, let's spend a moment talking about insurance coverage because that is, you know, a common topic that comes up. These are expensive medications. In the States, semaglutide or Ozempic is like, I think like $900 a month. It's real like $900 to $1,400 a month, like super expensive. In Canada, it's approximately $250 a month if you're paying out of pocket. Now, many insurance plans are now covering anti-obesity medications, but I just want to point out that Ozempic is not an anti-obesity medication. It is a diabetes medication. The approved anti-obesity medications in Canada are Sixenda, Contrave, uh, Zenical, and Wegovy. Wegovy being the same as Ozempic, but Wegovy not being available in Canada yet, right? So we'll have that maybe in the next year. And therefore, if you're seeking insurance coverage for Ozempic, you're seeking it under the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. So if you have type 2 diabetes, most I don't think anyone has problems getting Ozempic coverage. Most insurance companies are great about covering it for type 2 diabetes. If you don't have type 2 diabetes, you may still get coverage for Ozempic under your insurance plan if they don't ask for pre-authorization paperwork. What that means is some insurance companies like Sun Life, like Green Shield, they will ask your doctor to fill out pre-authorization paperwork. And that paperwork says, yes, this person has type 2 diabetes. Yes, this person has tried metformin. Yes, this person has failed metformin therapy, and therefore they qualify for using semaglutide. When a doctor says no to all of those things because you don't have those things, then the insurance company declines the claim, and then you're having to pay out of pocket. If the insurance company doesn't ask, they don't ask for pre-authorization paperwork. They just assume that you pl- likely you're using this for type 2 diabetes. They'll just approve it. Then you're golden, right? You'll get you'll get coverage for it. And there are certain companies that are like that. With insurance companies in Canada, it's that many insurance companies will cover anti-obesity drugs. And again, I'm referring to the other four, not Ozempic. But your benefits plan, which is your under your employer, has to select that as an option. Because it's often like an add-on option, and they may not choose it in their benefits package, and therefore you may not get coverage for it. So what you can do is actually speak to your employer about adding coverage for the anti-obesity drugs. They fall under the unfortunate category of lifestyle drugs. And so they would have to add the option of lifestyle medications to their plan. Often that doesn't include any increased cost, and so it's worth advocating with your insurance provider. Okay, let me talk about how I use these medications with clients because I run a coaching plus medical program and we are Canada's premier coaching and medical program, but we're also available globally as a coaching program to help with women who struggle with overeating, which could be mindless snacking or emotional eating. It's like boredom munching. It's just eating excessively large portions. It's having like a lot of over desire for food. And then we use cognitive strategies to help them change behaviors with from an empowered place. So where does anti-obesity medication fit into what I'm doing? This is my viewpoint on it. I think it's a very powerful tool that can help people implement the strategies that I teach them. But what I generally recommend for women coming into my program is that we don't start the anti-obesity medications right away. We wait three to four months. And that allows them to start learning the tools of awareness of hunger, awareness of wanting, touching base with their body. We sort of use a bit of an intuitive eating approach, really familiarizing yourself with what hunger feels like in your body, what satiety feels like in your body, optimizing nutrition to balance those hunger hormones before we jump to the medication. And here's why. If you're struggling with emotional eating or overeating behaviors and you start the medication right away, the medications work 
really effectively in the first three to four months. Like they will shut off appetite. You'll have no interest in food. You'll have no emotional eating because you just don't have, you just don't want food. Often people are like, I don't want to eat anything, right? Like I'm barely eating crackers because it's that powerful in the first few months. The problem is, is that it doesn't last like that forever. Particularly with Ozempic, there is, you know, many people experience a quote wearing off effect. It's not that the medication gets any weaker, but your physiology starts to fight back. And so the emotional eating returns and the mindless snacking comes back and the appetite suppression is gone. And the people are like, what's happening? Like the medication's no longer working. And this is because medication is not a magic bullet. It's not going to be the, you don't just take this one medication, you don't have to do anything else. And then, you know, this typically happens like six months out. So now, six months out, you haven't learned any emotional regulation skills. You haven't learned awareness of wanting. You haven't learned to pay attention to hunger and appetite and eat with a balanced plate. And now you're like panicky because this thing that you thought was the magic bullet is no longer working. And I just don't like having to start those things six months in when people get discouraged. I would rather learn all of these cognitive and emotional and behavioral strategies first. Then we add the medication if you need it to treat the you know very strong physiology as a and as as an adjunctive tool, and then the results are so much more powerful. So when used in combination with learning the effective strategies, my results is the outcomes are just much better. People have you know much more significant weight loss. It's much it's maintained much longer. Plus, they they develop self efficacy of like knowing how to manage when the emotional eating returns, when the hunger returns. They just feel confident that they can manage that. And we routinely have patients with like 20, 25 percent body weight loss when they implement the full like comprehensive you know approach to therapy. Now, I differ a little bit from the obesity medicine community. There is in my observation particularly, well, yeah, I'll just say this. In the obesity medicine community amongst many of my colleagues in North America, my observation is the approach is focused more on medical treatment and moving away from what they call diet and exercise. And I agree that diet and exercise on its own, like telling someone to exercise and like eat 200 calorie snacks is not an effective strategy. But what we do is the psychological and the emotional pieces And so if you don't offer that, right, because you're an internist, like I didn't learn any of this stuff as an internist. So if you go to an internist who doesn't have that background in like the psychological and the emotional stuff, then what they have to offer, the tool that they have to offer is medication. But then when the medication stops holding you, right, six months out, a year out, what's the solution? Well, the solution, if all you have as a tool is medication, is to stack more medication, right? And so the approach becomes very similar to diabetes in North America, the approach to diabetes is we start one medication and then we don't really empower you to change behavior and change diet and lifestyle. And therefore, when your A1C starts creeping up again, the solution is to just add another medication and then add another medication and add another medication. Eventually you end up in insulin, right? I know I sound critical, but I just, it's just like goes against my entire philosophy of being to just add more and more at medication because that's just polypharmacy. And everything that I believe in is that we can empower people when we have the right interventions, we can empower people to make changes to their lifestyle. But that's, but the solution is not diet and exercise. The solution is going deeper and figuring out why we're overeating, why we're using food to cope with life and giving them tools, giving people tools to manage that. So when you don't have a good behavioral and psychological treatment offer in your obesity clinic, it makes sense that what you can offer as a physician is more medication, right? And I'm not knocking that. Like that is what physicians do. Physicians prescribe medications. I just personally believe that when we empower people to take charge of their own health and really have ownership, really feel that they have 
you know, a sense of self-efficacy where they're not disempowered by diets and then they can improve their overall lifestyle. Then when we use the medication as a tool, it's like we can use the minimal effective dose. We're not always having to stack more and more and more medications on, and then it's much more effective in the long term. So Medication can be a powerful tool, but it's that delicate balance of using medication to treat physiology and learning effective emotional regulation and cognitive skills to address healthy behaviors and emotional wellness. Because an over-reliance on medication to solve problems like using food to cope in your life or overeating for entertainment or poor nutrition choices, in my humble opinion, is misuse of the medication, and it's not going to result in good long-term results. Now, there are people who have no interest in changing their lifestyle, then yeah, medication's gonna be better than nothing. And then all the power to them, go use the medication. Like if if there are different philosophies, right? Like I believe in personal ownership and responsibility, responsibility in our lives and empowering people and making the healthiest lifestyle choices possible. There are people, and it's their own prerogative, to not want that. Like you don't wanna change your lifestyle. You just wanna take the medication. It's an easier fix, no problem. Go get the medication. That's going to be better than nothing. Go talk to your family doctor. That is going to be a good tool for you. Here's the thing. We see people prescribed Ozempic for diabetes all the time who have no or minimal weight loss. Now, we do know from the studies that people with diabetes had less weight loss than people with obesity but no diabetes. And that's kind of across the board anti-obesity trials when we look at people with obesity and diabetes versus obesity with no diabetes. If you have diabetes, you tend to have less result, like less weight loss compared to people who don't have type 2 diabetes. That probably is because of the degree of insulin resistance and, you know, there's other considerations there. But oftentimes when semaglutide, particularly at the beginning when it came out first for type 2 diabetes, it was being prescribed by endocrinologists who just don't have the training in the behavioral side of things. Like that's not the training of an endocrinologist. It's not the training of an internist either. I learned all of this stuff after because of an interest in it. But we aren't taught this in medical school. We aren't taught this in residency. And so we are taught to prescribe this medication because it can be a powerful tool. But if you aren't taught behavioral skills like paying attention to your high-risk eating times, optimizing your, your mindset when it comes to health behaviors, or emotional regulation to stop like your boredom eating or your nine o'clock kind of stress eating, well, then, you know, the medication can't like can't outdo all of that, right? Medication might work a little bit. You might get like 10 pounds of weight loss and then over the next year, you're going to regain it and it might just kind of hold you stable. So you get a little bit of a result, but it's not as effective. Medication treats the disease. Medication does not create health because healthy behaviors and healthy mindset are what create long-term health. Do the medications improve A1C and cholesterol profile and all of that? Yes, they do. Insulin resistance improves over time because of the weight loss. We see cardiometabolic benefit, but long-term health really requires healthy behaviors and healthy mindset. We have to create wellness. We can't just rely on medication to create that. So this is how I use anti-obesity medications as part of Best Weight. My program, we use anti-obesity medications as a tool while we focus on empowering women to optimize their mindset, emotional health, their nutrition, their lifestyle. And this balance is what creates the confidence, the self-efficacy, and the remarkable weight loss results that we see in our clients. For all of our Canadian clients inside Best Weight, they also get the medical supervision from an obesity physician in their home province if they want it. We have doctors in nine provinces that provide expert medical consultation, supervision, and treatment when it's indicated, while in my, within the program, we deliver the effective cognitive and behavioral solutions to achieve sustainable long-term weight loss. 
And then for our clients outside of Canada, we educate them on the physiology of weight regulation. What blood work can they expect from their doctor? How do they advocate for treatment with their doctor? What role could anti-obesity medication have in their long-term strategy? So that they then feel equipped to have that conversation with their doctor and knowledgeable about their treatment options going in. If you have obesity and you want effective medical treatment for your disease, then I encourage you to speak with your family doctor about your options for anti-obesity medications. Many family doctors are now comfortable prescribing, but if not, you can then request a referral to an obesity medicine specialist. You can use the Obesity Canada Clinic Locator or My Weight What to Know Clinic Locator online. That one is available across North America, I believe. Physicians are well-equipped to prescribe and monitor medication, but if you are wanting to do the deeper work to get the best outcome possible and you know you're an emotional eater or you're a bit on again, off again with your health behaviors and you need help beyond just taking a medication, then that's where I want to invite you that best weight is the right solution for you. You can go to www.sashahighmd.com to check out the details of best weight. We are Canada's premier coaching and medical program for empowered weight loss and available to women around the world. All right. I hope this was a helpful episode explaining all about Ozempic and Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to share this episode with your friends so they can learn about Ozempic outside of like the TikTok celebrity discussion. And thanks so much. I'll see you again next week. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed listening to the High on Life podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and review it on Apple Podcasts.